0: Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Welcome to Medicine On Call, where it's all about living in the solutions. Today we have an important show because I think as a physician... I feel, and I have felt for quite a while, that we're kind of on the front line of a lot of changes, not just patient care, but ethics and morals as well. Um, There's, to me, uh, human life seems to be a little bit cheap in these days, where we're talking about euthanasia, we're talking about uh, post-birth abortion, which doesn't even make sense if you really think about what that really means, and... It's about money all of a sudden, and it's not about quality of life and patient care. And today I wanted to have a guest on, special guest, Mr. Bill Reichert. He's a Christian Medical and Dental Association Vice President for Campus and Community Ministries. And I'm curious to know what's going on on the front line in medical education. I mean, I've been a practicing physician since 1998, and I've seen a lot of changes come to pass, but I'm always curious to know what's coming behind us and what the education training is like and what happens if you actually have a conscience about taking care of your patients, money aside, just doing the right thing. Is there uh, some sort of pressure now that's being brought to bear to, you have to make a decision about whether you follow your heart, and what God put you on this earth to do, or are you being thwarted? So Mr. Riker, thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Well thank you, Dr. George, for having me on and, and uh to be able to share a little bit about kind of the cultural landscape uh that the medical students, healthcare uh students and professionals are facing uh currently. And uh it is there are real challenges. I I would also say there are some encouraging uh news, especially as we see through the work we do with uh uh thousands of medical students on about three hundred and fifteen uh medical and dental campuses uh throughout the US as well as uh um, you know, uh, tons of volunteers and others who are uh, coming together, united, uh, being a part of a community like CMDA really helps. Uh, uh, it really helps in these very difficult situations because it's it's hard if you're going to do it alone. But when you have other people and you have a community of others, it uh, it really helps uh, push through and make. Uh, make some of these challenges uh, bearable as well as be able to uh, flourish and thrive in the middle of some of these very difficult places. Uh, you mentioned early on, uh, certainly there are cultural uh, issues that uh, medical professional students in particular even are facing, uh, and they um, everything from right of conscience and um Especially with the, uh, new issues of gender reassignment. We're seeing a lot of, uh, transgenderism and the, uh, the call for, uh, gender reassignment without very little question to whether or not, uh, that this is something that should be done. Mm-hmm. It's being done indiscriminately. And, uh, we had a, um, we had a dean of a major medical school step down from his position because, uh, he, It was very clear that this was not going to be something he was going to sign off on. And things like gender reassignment and and, and these issues are affecting a multiplicity of specialties. You know, it used to be where the big issue in terms of right of conscience for a physician was whether whether or not they would declare they would do abortions or not. Mm -hmm. And usually that issue fell upon those uh, who were, uh, you know, OB-GYNs those uh, in that particular specialty usually wrestled with that issue. But now the issues are so broad, they're affecting almost every physician. You can't be a physician and not go untouched by these cultural mandates as they are. And uh, it is putting upon a lot of these doctors to make a choice. Um, And uh, this one particular doctor chose to move away, to step down, to... uh, to leave his position because he knew that it was a battle he could not win. And uh anyway, so it's yeah, the challenges are real and uh students are are being pressed upon to really decide what are they going to uh lean into, what are the what are the choices they're gonna make or, or not make. And and uh you know we do what we can on our end to provide the kind of support and cover to protect their right of conscience so that they can they can make those decisions without facing uh, repercussions because mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest fear is the fallout, especially if you're a student because you are working towards some very important goals um, and it's it's you you can't afford oftentimes to uh, uh, torpedo your uh, opportunities and profession your future profession. Uh, so there's a lot of pressure to succumb and to often either be quiet or just simply. Uh, um, you know, just give it.
0: You know, I I have a personal story about that because when I was a, okay. a medical student, well, I was a medical student. No, I was a resident, a surgery resident, and I was on the neurosurgical service. And there was a patient who was unfortunately, um, you know, brain dead. And the attending called in and asked me to pull the plug on the patient. And I said no. And okay. it it was. I mean, I didn't have a no question, and he was really angry, and he had to come in, but I wasn't doing it. And I can imagine, I mean, that was back in the day when we had a little bit more, um, residents don't really have power, but from a, a social standpoint, I'm not sure that would have been, I might have gotten in trouble from the administration, perhaps, for bucking the system. But you're right. I mean, that was, it sticks out all to this day about choices that I personally made that I had to make a stand ethically and I wasn't going to do it, but that's different. Now I think you're right. I think there's a lot more pressure. There's, you know, you're called names if you actually have an opinion about something and the professors potentially can actually affect your grade and your future if you run afoul well, of the system. And I think well, it sure. happens. I mean,
1: yeah, they can definitely deny opportunities and, you know, the... The kind of pressure isn't oftentimes easily detected it's not right there out mm-hmm. for everyone to see it's it's often very subtle. it comes in those uh residency interviews and in those or those medical school interviews in ways that they're trying to kind of suss out what, what you know where would you hypothetically go or what would you do in this situation and you know it's uh it can be. It can be very insidious and it can be a very big challenge for those uh both starting in their profession but also <laughs> those very late in their profession. Um, this gentleman I mentioned to you, he was at the top of his game, he was well known, he was had a, a incredible reputation in his field of, of study, his his uh specialty, and um it did not insulate him, it did not protect him from those pressures, those cultural and social pressures mm-hmm. which are now creeping into medicine in a way that is there's very little discernment as to whether or not this is good science, good medicine. It's it's really just being done because of the cultural pressures and uh there's it's very hard to push back. It's becoming quite a, a big challenge. And you know, we we're just mentoring uh gender reassignment type surgeries which affect again many specialties. Uh physician assisted suicide. I mean yeah. these these issues um are, you know, uh very prevalent and come in a lot of different ways and um they're becoming unique and uh, very difficult challenges for medical students.
0: Well, and we have to take a break in about a minute or so, but just to set the table, you know, this, the end-of-life decisions, this is almost an algorithm-driven system now. And I I took the Hippocratic Oath, so I know that there are certain things that I was not allowed to do by my oath. Euthanasia was one, and abortion was the second. Do you right. Do the students still? I mean, the ones that you're mentoring, do they actually still take the Hippocratic Oath? Because I thought that was a question. Some students were no longer taking it. Yeah,
1: you know, I don't have uh, anecdotally. I think it's uh, it doesn't seem to be front and center anymore now. I think, but uh, it may still be taken in, in certain places. But uh, it doesn't seem to be the very guiding principle that uh, doctors these days are being drawn on. I mean. It, medicine is becoming a very pragmatic, uh, vocation and profession. And, uh, you know, physician assisted suicide, for instance, isn't so much now a right to die, it's a duty to die because, you know, pressures are being put on the systems to, you know, c- uh, keep costs down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to do all these things from a very pragmatic view that don't really take the, the real, um, the, the, they don't take the care of the patient as uh, being front and center. There are all these other, um, you know, issues that are, are driving these decisions. And it's um it's it's turning medicine into a completely different profession and vocation than many doctors uh experienced when they first went into it. You know, when they went into medicine they went in for very noble reasons. I can't think of too many folks don't go into medicine for those noble reasons of wanting to care for those in need, to be part of those healing arts. But uh medicine uh uh, especially the training part really transforms and, and and takes that in good intention and really converts it into often something c- completely different at the end of at, at the end of all that time of training.
0: I think that's a good break, a good place to take our first break. You're listening to medicine on call.
2: From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com.
0: This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce A new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more.
2: Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com.
0: Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Bill Reichert. He's an ordained minister within the Presbyterian Church of America with more than 25 years of ministry experience. Uh, He was recently the Atlanta area director for the CMDA before moving to his current role with the ministry. Prior to the CMDA, he worked on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for more than 16 years. And throughout the years, Bill has worked with college students at the University of Rhode Island, UVA, and Towson University outside of Baltimore, which is his hometown. And Bill earned his uh, Master's of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And, you know, just the thought of not valuing life, not everybody's special, I mean, everybody's unique. Just to pile people into... These catchments. You know, you're over 60, you have these medical problems, you lived a great life, now we don't want to make you comfortable. But that's somebody's mother or father. I mean, gosh forbid that ever happened to one of, of my parents. And they tried that because he was in a socialized system in the Caribbean. And I had to take him out to a private facility, and he lived another year, danced at his 90th birthday, and died comfortably in his bed. He would have been totally gone a year before based on him just being. Just languishing in a hospital based on his age, this is wrong on so many levels yeah. and if I had to train under this system i you know I think the suicide rate is grown exponentially, not just practicing physicians but medical students as well, hasn't it?
1: Oh yeah um in fact uh, I think it's uh, uh some information out of Netscape uh, reports that that uh, of course about one u s doctor a day uh, commits suicide. Is one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. And they're estimating about 30% of medical students and residents have depressive symptoms. So, yes, burnout, toxic stress, I mean, these are, in addition to the cultural pressures, uh, right of conscience and such, the emotional, the, um, burnout issues, uh, are, are significant and it's, um, it's becoming epidemic. Uh, you are starting to see the medical community address it in terms of issues like physician wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're understanding that there's a, there's been a change, of course, within medicine. It's become, a, of course, a business, and uh, there are you know decisions again are made for very practical reasons. And physicians don't can't act independently. Again, this goes back to a lot of the right of conscience issues where doctors could. You know they could be kind of chart their own course they are uh i think it's uh, I think I've heard somewhere around sixty percent now of physicians are employees yeah. where that wasn't the case uh you know several years ago so the whole the whole business of medicine is changing and it's putting a lot of pressure on um uh physicians to continue to produce 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 and uh yeah. you know to to kind of keep stretching those uh numbers and uh those outcomes and you know technology is only compounding the issue. Um, uh, when Mayo Clinic actually looked at the causes of physician burnout, they uh, they said one of the strongest predictors of burnout was how much time a doctor spent at a computer screen. And if mm-hmm. you've been in a doctor's office recently, you know the tension of having a doctor rarely engage you as a patient perhaps and looking more at their screen, their electronic medical record, and trying to, you know, relate more to the technology than they often do to the patient. And it's, uh, you know, physicians, they're... It's a system that they're bound up in, and often many of them would would love to shed the a lot of the techno, uh, technological requirements because they become encum- they encumber their ability to do the appropriate patient care that they believe you know they were called to do. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely leading to a lot of burnout, stress, and not just for those who are practicing, who are in it as a profession, but just even at the very beginning stages, these medical students are feeling it and. uh and they're acting out in in some very destructive ways. Everything from, you know, just uh, depressive episodes, but also up to the point of suicide. And it's not uncommon for me to get reports here at CMDA from some of our local chapters or our field staff, those who are working closely uh, with uh, medical students, to report back that there was a student that year that uh, committed suicide.
0: Man, that's tragic. I, I mean, I really feel blessed that never happened in my medical school. But again, we were Of a different time. I mean, we were like the border between old-school training and when it became this HMO-driven conveyor belt type of system. I mean, if you're seeing 30 patients a day, you know, there's no way you have enough time to actually talk to the patient, examine the patient, get the nuances. There is just no way. It's all about treat them and the next one and the next one and then documentation. And, you know, on the flip side, people don't realize this. It's not because doctors want to do it. They have to do it. You cannot close the chart until you dot every I, cross every T, answer these ridiculous questions. I'm really amazed when I've actually looked at these charts. The the amount of information that patients give up, pretty shocking. I would say no to most of this stuff. So, So, you know, we have a system where authority rules, don't we? Where people just... they're polite they don't want to make waves and they give up information and their privacy in ways that they shouldn't and we should and honestly if patients demanded more i don't believe the system would be as bad as it is
1: yeah well you know so we've got this physician wellness issue and burnout and we're 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 addressing it in a way that is um complementary to the ways that uh, the industry is talking about it but also uniquely different you know uh, mayo and and uh, stanford have been doing a lot of work on this area and, and mayo in particular up in rochester said you know as they looked at physician wellness they they really it came down to two big variables in addition to of course the technology issue i just mentioned but two issues that seem to Um, Play a role into helping physicians have uh, greater uh, mental health and and wellness and and job satisfaction in what they're doing. The first was community, (laughs) Um, not going it alone. So they started. uh, Mayo started uh, giving a stipend to to small cohorts that they would go out and they would uh, have a meal together. They would actually spend time with one another. The other was uh, what's often being called in today's culture is mindfulness and uh you know the the idea to kind of hit the pause button to have those strategic pauses to not keep going 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 to the point of exhaustion where you're you're not even having time to to think uh most doctors I know don't even have time to eat that's how busy they are they're yeah. they're just going so they saw these as two determining factors, and they started to explore that and you know I look at that as a as a follower of Christ as as a Christian minister, and I go. Well, goodness, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, (laughs) community. Um, That's why, you know, what we try to do at medical school campuses is so important because we want to give people the opportunity to know that they're not alone. I mean, going through just in its best, under the best circumstances, medical education is hard enough, but compound all these things that we're talking about during our time together, even make things more difficult, we need to know that we're not in this by ourselves. We need a community. We need other people to join and link arms with that will support us, pray for us, um, uh, bear one another's burdens. You know, the, the Bible talks about those very things that are are meant to buoy us up and to encourage us and to help us continue to persevere. Uh, and where a lot of these Christian um, uh, medical students believe this is a vocation God has called them, and they want to they wanna be faithful in it. They want to succeed in it. And uh, the other, you know, they say mindfulness, but meditation on just, you know, the Word of God and, and being able to take those strategic pauses and to to reflect and to think. And so those things are are just as much embedded in our Christian tradition as now the culture at large has kind of begun to discover that, that, you know, we can't continue to be human doers, doing, doing, doing. We've got to be hum- human beings. We've got to be... Uh, with one another in community, we have to be with ourselves in those pauses, those times of reflection to, to stop and to, and to not, uh, to reflect and not always, uh, be distracted. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, so, you know, there, there are, uh, real opportunities for us in these communities throughout the U.S. to, uh, bring some, um, hope and help these students flourish. And to realize there's an oasis amidst their storm, that they don't have to just suffer. They don't have to just barely survive. They can thrive, and they can flourish.
0: I think that's a great place to stop and, and reflect, frankly. You're listening to Medicine On Call. You're listening to Medicine On Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect.
3: That will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba report is go to the and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at bubb at the We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bubb at the to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, the Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bible Report.
0: Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Bill Reichert. He is the Christian Medical and Dental Association Vice President for Campus and Community Ministries. And before the break, I think you were doing a wonderful job of really speaking to what constitutes mental and physical health for a physician and you know it's not just christian it's every physician that would benefit and quite frankly every patient that they that they touch would benefit i mean i think people are they're wounded they're angry they're frustrated they're human and i think it manifests in bad ways cutting people off not listening to the patient being rude I mean, it's just this energy that has to transfer between the doctor and the patient. And you need that sense of centeredness and wholeness. And, you know, it's it's love, frankly, because you're listening to somebody who's got a problem and you have to empathize. If you're thinking about, I haven't gotten sleep, I can't make my mortgage, whatever it is, it tends to seep out in a bad way.
1: Well, that, that's so true, Dr. George. In fact, I was talking to a physician um from Duke, uh, who uh, teaches not only at the uh, Duke Medical School, but also he's a he also has a PhD in philosophy and, and teaches at the uh, at the university as well, and he's created a program called Reimagining Medicine, and the whole idea of this is to help medical students recapture some of these basic skills of listening mm-hmm. and curiosity. And when and one thing he said, which was really key, he said. Doctors are so busy, so consumed that they're going, for, you know, closing their charts, EMRs, all the all the things that keep them preoccupied, and often forget that there's a person in that room when they enter that room, and that person has a unique story, and a doctor needs to be able to enter into that person's story, to be curious, to listen, um, and and to those kinds of uh you know treating the whole person we often talk within a, uh, our circles here at CMDA the idea of whole person care realizing that the person before you is 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 a multiplicity of different things they're not just physical they're emotional they're spiritual um there's a lot going on there and uh you know just reminding these young emerging physicians that uh, they need to take those skills with them and and so he's He's created this eight week program to talk about rediscover as he says these these very basic core principles that you I imagine were trained in as mm-hmm. a physician are really becoming lost and uh he's he's trying to rediscover them and I think people are some people within medicine are appreciating and realizing we've lost our way we've we you know this this train has kind of gone off the rails a bit we need to kind of pull back and we need to start reaccessing and reimagining and relooking yet again at what this vocation is this this high calling of being a physician is such a such an important role because you know I often say you know people are encountering patients are encountering physicians um, at some of the well it's some of the most strategic points in their life well certainly most of the time when they're born course they don't know it Mm -hmm. and oftentimes during those dying moments you know Mm -hmm. and 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 place a lot of places in between and usually those are moments where a doctor has a unique and privileged position and opportunity to uh, administer um grace and love and care um so it's real important to remind them of that but at the same time reminding who cares for the caregiver um, you know these caregivers who are giving of themselves or should be. Um, you know the real issue is compassion fatigue. Uh, how are they filling their tank? Uh, how are they growing and developing? How are they being encouraged? Are they connected with others with a life-giving community around them? Um, you know this speaks to another issue. You know you you kind of touched on it. I mean the patient is a collateral. Uh, uh, there's a collateral impact on the patient from you know where the doctor is. Well. You know, most of these doctors have families, and and oftentimes families, get, uh, doctors, physician families are in crisis because the pressures that those physicians feel, they're felt by spouses, they're felt by their children, and uh, you know we address that. We have groups of of individuals who are spouses of of uh, of uh, uh, physicians and uh, dentists who who gather together for mutual support and encouragement because they're on a unique journey. You know, they're sharing the very same burdens. And in fact, I should tell you on a personal note, my daughter just got married and she got married to a young medical student hmm. uh, who's down in Tulane. And, and so now I even know pers- firsthand that she is sharing with him many of the challenges that he's facing are hers to bear too because she is there with him uh, as as his new wife. So, um you know, we have to care for the whole person we have to care for those people that are in that person's life and and realize that uh you know we're very complex beings we uh we have needs and we have to minister to those those needs and to be able to care for those who are caring for us so often uh, sacrificially
0: oh absolutely i mean that, that was really eloquently stated it's it, it's what makes the medicine different isn't it i mean the fact that you People share their hurts, their things they don't share with other people with their physician. And it's, it's it's a gift to be to have someone trust you like that. And anything that takes away from that, anything that denigrates that, tears it down, it has to stop. So I'm curious to know what you think about our our healthcare delivery system now. Do you have any thoughts on the I don't think it's a movement, but it's some people in our country want a Medicare for all, type of situation. Do you think that, in your opinion, is? What do you think of that? I know what I think. I'm just curious to know what you think.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm always concerned about when we take compassion out of the equation, and uh, I am, I'm always concerned when, uh, again, what's been driving a lot of our current uh, uh, challenges in medicine is a kind of an institutionalized uh delivery of medicine and it usually takes the human element out. It's again it's it's about delivering or or for a doctor seeing so many patients um you know at a certain amount of time and of course as reimbursements decrease, which is going to be the risk, it's going to put more pressure on physicians to have to do more with less. And I can only see it perhaps being a a, a, a challenging future if if that's the direction we're going to be going. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of different unique things going in medicine. It's interesting. I mean, there's, with challenges come some opportunities. You know, we're seeing people, uh, patients look at their medicine differently and how they get it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of medical, uh, sharing, uh, kind of healthcare plans Mm when people are entering into those agreements. Doctors are, are saying, you know, look, I, I, I'd like to take on, and for the lack of a better term, a concierge approach, where they have a a, a select group, you know, patients, a, a patient pool that that, that 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 they work with, and they're going to be dedicated to those serving those patients at a very um, uh, transparent fee, so that everybody knows what to expect and what they're paying for. So there's some new models out there and things that are are out there. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years where this goes, but I do see. I do see the challenges only ramping up. Of course you're compiling both the, the, the industry and the, the business side of medicine with all of the other ethical challenges for the for the physician. Um I see those challenges um becoming only more difficult. But I'm I'm kind of a perennial optimist, Doctor George. I like to think that there are going to be things that are also going to um help us to reassess uh uh, i think doctors might find themselves reassessing for themselves too
0: mm-hmm.
1: um why they went into this vocation and um i think it might also you know call them to um look beyond themselves to finding those uh things that will help them live a, a well lived life uh so that they're not so uh driven uh to to perform that they might find themselves um realizing when they come to the end of themselves that they can uh, lean on others and, and find other vehicles for support. Because what I've noticed over time is that uh physicians, this is true for a lot of people, but in this profession particularly, there's a lot of self-reliance and a sense of, you know, can do, I can yeah. do it, I can do it. And and I think sometimes that can uh, be... Um, I think that can not serve the doctor very well. They're not silos. We're not we're not islands. We're not silos. We need other people. We need to uh realize that uh uh, that, uh that, that 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 we need to uh find support from others and not feel like we we ourselves can only do it alone. So, I I don't know. I think there's big challenges ahead, but I I hope that it will also um it, it may also have some positive uh uh, re, re, you know, repercussions, but I should also say there's also, like I mentioned with the uh, gentleman from Duke, there's also some pushback as things have been going a certain direction. There is a movement afoot to again reclaim the 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 uh, high calling of being a physician again, again, and, and put it in the in the standing that it needs to be, and to try to exercise medicine in a way that honors both the physician and the patient.
0: I think that's the only way that we're going to save our profession. Because if we continue to take a back seat and let it be driven by people who aren't physicians, nurses, who aren't caregivers, and and they're more actuarials and pencil pushers, we're only going to get more of the same. And that means very high cost, very low quality. Uh, You know, it's not – anybody should – my thing is never get sick because at this point, it's not about getting you healthy. It's not. Well,
1: you know, one of the – things that I do in this role too is I, I logistically support and lead and travel overseas to uh, communities around the world uh, bringing healthcare to underserved communities and so we see healthcare systems I see healthcare systems all across the globe and uh, you know systems where, where it's become universalized, socialized mm-hmm. it, it's usually rationing and, and it's usually not the kind of care um, that uh, uh, people should be getting uh, when we go we find patients, the fact that we will spend time with a patient, that we, that our physicians will, will lean in and, and talk with them and hear their stories and hear their chief complaints and, and even press even further still into what's going on, because oftentimes there's a lot more issues going on beneath just the chief complaint that they present, Um is amazing. They don't, they're treated like, uh, like chattel. They just, they're just brought to a system without any sense of consideration of their dignity. And when we start to treat patients with dignity, they just open up and blossom and they are just so thankful and so, um happy that we're able to be there for them and with them. But they're living in systems that re- reflect, uh, what it unfortunately can be if it's simply institutionalized, if it's, if it's run simply like a business where, 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 um you know, people are just being considered a, uh, a, a number on a spreadsheet. I think we're going to find ourselves In that same situation, I should also say just parenthetically, too, while I'm talking about missions, doctors, they give their time to go. They give a lot of times their own money. And, uh, you know, it's not a vacation, but they're often having to take vacation time. But they love it. It's life giving. And Mm -hmm. the reason why, well, one is they've realized, again, their initial calling was to serve. They want to serve others but it also allows them to actually do what they were called to do and what they were trained to do. Actually be with patients. Again, going back to some of my earlier comments, they're not looking at it. There's no screen to look at. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's, nobody's putting them on the clock. Nobody's saying, okay, you got to move on. They get to actually do the medicine that they were called to the the medicine that they love. And it is, it is life-giving for them. And they, they come back refreshed, rejuvenated. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's exciting to bring these uh, physicians in these opportunities to to not only help uh, patients who who are in need of, of significant care, uh, but also uh, they're blessed as well as being a blessing to others.
0: Right, I couldn't agree more. Let's let's think about that and let's take our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You can catch the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and a host of other multimedia platforms. Subscribe and share it with your friends. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're having a really important and I think enlightening conversation with Mr. Bill Rackard the vice president of uh, campus and community ministries for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. I mean, you just, I mean, I love what I do. And if I could just see patients all day that you can work 12, 14 hours, but when you're just in the trenches where you're just sharing energy and helping somebody, you feel great. You're absolutely right after after that experience. And it's the absolute opposite when you've spent time Charting, <laughs> trying to remember a password that you forgot, calling IT, you know, trying to put an order in, and it's just ridiculous. After doing a surgery, this just—it's almost like this is pendulum. It just keeps swinging back and forth. It's exhausting, and yeah. it takes forever. I, I have to apologize to patients. I'm sorry. You know, this should be faster. And if I were writing it, we would be done already. But you know, it's well. Strong. You know, what's
1: happening. And i imagine this is happening to you, but um, Atul Gawande, I don't know if you've ever read his stuff, *Being Mortal*. Um, but he wrote an article, I think it was in New York Magazine, on this whole issue of technology and, and the way medicine's going. And he said that here's the here's the biggest issue now too is doctors aren't even able to finish up in the office. They take a lot of that charting home with them. They yeah. are doing it in front of the TV. They're doing it into the late hours. Yeah. So they can't. There's there's no turning it off. And that's, again, just another uh, opportunity for danger for that particular physician to uh, find themselves burned out when they just can't even turn it off because the amount of hours they spend in the hospital or in the clinic can't uh, accomplish all the needful paperwork and charting that has to be done. They have to actually take it home with them, and it, it invades personal time, family time.
0: It's 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 a big challenge. Yeah, If you want to be thorough, you're absolutely right. There's plenty of nights I get home after 9.00. And, mm. you know, but I'd rather spend the time with the patient and get to know them right. and do my job. And it's all on my time. You're not getting compensated for it. You're absolutely right. right. But yeah. there's that's two pathways. But again, I, patients are in the driver's seat. Either you want to see a doctor who's typing on a computer screen and not looking at you or you choose not to. And I think this is all about, unfortunately, money. But if people stop accessing the system and choose a different pathway the system will stop because if you don't have bodies to make money off of then they'll start paying attention and as physicians you know i chose not to sell my practice to a hospital or become a hospital-based physician because i can't stand that but there's more of us like you mentioned it during the last break before the last break direct primary care christian sharing ministries um these these alternatives are blossoming because patients realize that they want to control their health, that they want a physician who's healthy <laughs> literally. And yeah. that they want they don't want to take a bunch of medication. There's a huge growth of patients who believe that. We need to cultivate that. Instead of that being the outlier it should become the norm.
1: Very true. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I count it a privilege to be working with, uh, some great, uh, uh, men and women professionals all throughout the U.S. And, uh, and, uh, you know, again, I come from this from a spiritual vantage point. We're obviously there to help them flourish in their faith journey too, um, because we believe that makes them more compassionate. It makes them, it certainly fuels their compassion, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, as they are, as they're looking, uh, at their patients, uh, you know, realizing the dignity of their patients and, and also being able to um, you know, find strength and, and their own uh uh you know peace as they're working through this journey of of training for uh in their medical education. So, you know, that's a, a obviously a particular component. And I should say for for a person who has a um a, a faith Uh, that can be a challenge because medicine is very materialistic, and I mean that in the sense of it's, you know, it's about what you can see, taste, you know, taste and touch. And, you know, people who have a particular spiritual proclivity are, are usually, uh, dismissed or marginalized. So, you know, there's, you know, if you're a Christian, uh, uh, medical student training, you, you got a lot of challenges, both, uh, you know, the spiritual, the, the emotional with burnout, obviously the, mm-hmm. the, uh, cultural, the right of conscience and physician assisted suicide and, and, uh, gender reassignment type surgeries and those things pressing upon your right of conscience as well as, uh, you know, your personal, uh, personal life, family and so forth, so. Real challenges, but I would say thank goodness for communities, uh, small cohorts, groups throughout the US that are banding together to come together to support one another and to be on this journey together and uh to lift one another up. Um, you know, bear one of the burns, encourage, pray. It's uh you know, there's there's hope. There are these there are these oasises amidst the storm. So um you can uh, more than just survive, you can thrive and flourish uh, into medical school and in within medicine as well.
0: I think so, too. And I, as a segue of that ability to express yourself, is there any problem with the freedom of speech aspect of this? I mean, like I spoke out and I said I'm not going to do it, but what happens? Are the students finding that they choose not to speak out, that they don't? You know, I'm not saying that they need to, you know, broadcast their faith necessarily. But are they finding that it it's discouraged? That it is they don't say anything when they otherwise want to.
1: Well, it's like I said earlier. It's not like oftentimes the persecution or the or the uh, challenges don't come head on. They're, they're usually subtle um, uh, opportunities being passed over for opportunities or or. Uh, being, you know, uh, maybe ostracized. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's a challenge. I, I mean, there are students who stand up and are bold and, and, and do so. And it's not as if students who don't are any less bold. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a sense, too, of being, uh, being wise as, as they, you know, figure out how to, um, how to present maybe that contrarian point of view in a way that's, uh, that can be inviting in Winston, too, and Mm -hmm. and not be necessarily confrontational. So there's a, I think there's some wisdom and judgment in how one goes about addressing some of these issues. I mean, the one doctor that I mentioned, you know, he he chose to not – he could have gone full battle, you know. He could have gone – you know, he could have uh, lawyered up. He could have done everything possible to keep his job, but he decided it was best for him uh, to uh, move, move into something else. And that was the choice he made. And yet, I, we have another doctor that is um, is actually uh, there is a lawsuit. Um, he has he is trying to protect his rights because he was penalized opportunity. He was uh, some of his uh, position and privileges were were taken from him because he spoke out in a uh, in a forum in an event on these bioethical, moral ethical issues, uh, particularly transgenderism and that came back to the uh, particular um uh healthcare institution and he was uh reprimanded and also um you know his his uh, advancement was uh was hindered so he was penalized because of it so there yeah there is some real blowback and people are going to face consequences. And, and in, the, in his case, he believes it's he needs to take uh, advantage of the legal remedies that are afforded to him because he believes what he does in this moment is also going to be helpful for those that follow behind him.
0: Oh, I think freedom of speech should be sacrosanct. If, yeah. if we can't express ourselves, then we're living in a totalitarian system where we're going to be shut down. You know, those with power will definitely it over those that don't. And that's not good for anybody, frankly. Now, right. we have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to give you a chance to, I mean, how can people, students, find you? Do they, do you have outreach at all medical schools? How do people know how to join?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're at about 90% medical schools, high 80% dental schools, or optometry schools, and PA, PT, nurse practitioners. So we've got a fairly, um, large reach, but I would say if somebody's interested in what we do with Christian Medical and Dental Associations, um, to go to the website CMDA, that's Charlie, Mary, David, Apple, cmda.org, and then slash students. And we've got some dedicated information there for those who are in their healthcare training. training. Um, we have a CMDA Student Life app they can download on their phone. That also will help them get connected and get more information. So we've got a lot of different ways to hopefully connect them with something that's ongoing, um, which I think would be a high chance that they can find something in their own school or their community. Or if they don't have something, we can help them uh, start to um uh initiate and catalyze an opportunity where they happen to be. So we've done that oftentimes too. Uh you know, there are new healthcare uh medical schools in particular uh popping up almost a almost a half a dozen every year. Really? Um, oh yes, particularly osteopathic uh schools, hmm. DO schools. So there's not a shortage of <laughs> campuses and they continue to grow and continue to flourish and yet at the same time there's the flip side of saying that there's also potentially a, a significant doctor shortage in the future. So, um, but yeah, so they connect through cnda.org slash students and we'll, uh, they can reach out to us or email us at ccm at and we and we can also follow up with them there as well.
0: And if physicians want to be mentors, is that also a possibility?
1: oh yeah yeah it is we we've got some training on uh, some materials that can help them uh do that uh you know they can invest in those local uh, student chapters so a lot of times mentoring can be leading small group uh, studies coming on campus speaking to students um you know being a preceptor on a medical mission trip there's a lot of different ways they can mentor and really live out and demonstrate uh you know what does it mean to be um a Christian who happens to be a physician. Uh, it can be a real opportunity. and um, yeah, i really I really appreciate uh, when doctors are are coming and working in students' lives because they'll often do the best job of sharing both the good, the bad, and the ugly, which I think students need to hear. They need to uh, hear how they can be successful and flourish, but also understand what are some of the real pitfalls, and hopefully learn. From some of these doctors' stories as they uh open up their lives to these students, so certainly yes, they can they can mentor
0: and well, you know, I want to thank you for everything that you do. I think you're helping to create uh a, you know doctors of the future that patients you know will want to go to and will be able to heal and minister to because that's really what physicians do as well, and you know it's nice to know that we're not alone out here, <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. George, for allowing me this opportunity for him to share more about this work and and the uh, the ministry here. So, thank you again.
0: My pleasure, and thank you all for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times Liberty Talk Event